Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Ramble. I am here broadcasting with my co-host, co-partner, co-pilot <laughs> in life, my wife, Jana Primus, who is now on edition number two to be the actual co-host of the <laughs> So if you do good, you'll, you'll become a co-host and then shortly thereafter, you will replace me. This is an audition. All right. I didn't know that. Good to know. No, there's no auditions here. This is is on the home front, number two, which is what we named number one. And many things have changed since. Yes. Since we last chatted on the podcast. Not since we last spoke in general. Yes. (laughs) We We are coming in from, I don't know, but seven hours outside, chicken coop, garden, compost. What else did we do outside today? We had dinner outside. We had dinner outside. It was a completely outside day, which feels good. So good. So grounding. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very grounding. I could just do it all day and I could do it in my bare feet. Oh yeah. Looking forward to that. I know we're so dirty. (laughs) although less dirty now that the chickens are in the run yes this is true this was a milestone we uh over the course of the winter again for those who don't know we have a little hobby farm called hardy feather farm and we have birds chickens specifically and a garden and it's been it's been a bit of a journey with these chickens the last (laughs) five months when did we lose when did we lose your favorite chicken we lost her in January. So almost exactly five months. No, that's not true. Four months. January? It was the end of January. January, February, March, April. Three months. Right. My math is off. <laughs> <laughs> we lost Julieta. We were flooded out. Uh, she didn't die in the flood, but we had a flood. And then we started, we lost two more chickens to eagles. Yeah. In the span of those three months. Yeah. And last year, the chickens decimated our entire garden, like our vegetable garden, because we let them roam free over the whole property. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to build a coop. Like, I shouldn't say, I should specify. We decided to build a run. Yeah, add-ons is, to it. Yeah. So the run is like the area that is outside, but it's still enclosed. And we attempted to make it big enough so that I guess it would very much meet and surpass the standard of free run chickens or free range. Yeah. It's more, it's closer to pasture raised. Pasture raised. Damn. We fell off. Fell off of what? Well, pasture raised doesn't sound as good as, as like free range. Free. <laughs> Technically it's better because Is free it? range. Yeah. Free range just means that they're not in cages. Like if we're talking actual commercial chickens, it just means they're not in cages. Oh, okay. Whereas pasture, yeah, pasture run is more like 
free access to inside, outside grass, dirt, everything like that. Yeah. So we built this epic run, which, and, and in addition to the coop itself, which was like a four month process of which we did not have extra time to do, but we did it all the same. And then we ran into our chickens weren't laying very well the last three months. And I don't know if that had anything to do with the stress that came with all the change or the number of chickens died this, this winter. They also had lice. I don't know what else went wrong with them. Well, there was, uh, there was a couple of babies born. So whenever the mothers have babies, they stop laying for a little while to raise them. And then we had the poultry lice, which we handled and we had uh, molting, which they also don't lay when they molt. And then yeah, stress. So combination of all of the above. And the secret sauce has been yogurt. Yogurt. Feeding yeah. <laughs> them yogurt in the last week has taken us from count. like four a day to ten. We got ten today. I know. Fairly quickly too. Like yeah, really like quick over like the span of a week. But it's interesting to to have these like little problems we have to figure out. And you're really on it with these things because you you really love these chickens. <laughs> I also love problem solving. And especially if it's something you have to be quick with. So if you have to make quick decisions in the moment to solve things, I get off on that. Yeah. You get off on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where we're at these days, folks. He gets off on the chickens. chickens. <laughs> problem solving for the chickens. No, thanks to me. <laughs> no, you're a part of that. I'm always so proud when you do something for them or when you make a good chicken daddy. I'm a good chicken daddy. This is, you're probably, uh, my audience is like, what the fuck are these two talking about chickens? Like they've been out in the yard, like, like we give a fuck about their chickens. But maybe there's a point in this. I think that, well, I, I've been questioning recently, why am I doing it? Like, because it's a lot of work and it's been a lot of money building that coop, feeding them organic feed that we have to go to a special place to get, then buying them human yogurt. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, we don't sell the eggs. We give them away. We give away a lot of eggs to our friends and they love them. They love the colors, which by the way, one of my friends asked like, how do you get the blues, the greens, the light browns, the pinks, the dark browns? He actually thought we painted them. Oh. I was like, dude, I did not paint these eggs. Paint these like, eggs. We did not paint these <laughs> eggs before we gave them to you. <laughs> what is that though? Can you remind, remind me? Yeah. Many people could probably speak to it better than I do, but essentially there's two colors of eggs that exist. And then the mixing of those colors creates all the other ones. So um, there is a purebred chicken called a black copper moran that lays dark, dark brown eggs. And there is a purebred chicken called an Americana that lays blue eggs. And there's other chickens that lay blue and brown eggs too. But when you combine those two colors, so you breed the chickens together. That's when you get the varying eggs of like olive color and green and Easter eggers, which are the pale colors, but chicken eggs also give off different colors because of their bloom, which you don't see in commercial chicken eggs. So commercial chicken eggs are washed, which is why we have to keep them in the fridge. But 
all chickens lay something called a bloom over top of their eggshell that is basically a coating that protects the egg from bacteria entering it because eggs are porous. So our eggs and eggs in Europe can be kept on the counter because they're unwashed. Mm. So the bloom is part playing into the color. Yeah. Cause like the pink ones that we have, for example, aren't actually pink, they're light Brown, but the bloom gives them the illusion of being pink. And that's how you get like, sometimes if you put a whole bunch of them together, so we have chickens that lay varying levels of brown and pink and whatnot, you'll get some blooms that are so heavy that they almost look purple and some that look maybe tan or some that look beige or some that mm. look blue. And well, there are blue eggs, but different varying green and olive and whatnot. So it's so it's, cool. It is really cool. When you and see spots, it. the spots are my favorite. I don't know if there's any stores that you can buy the Easter egg variety with? No, I did see. So we used to have a local store here that I think there was a small time. Yeah. That, that was selling the, their colored eggs there. And I saw some greens in there. So I was a little bit jealous. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, and then we had digress a little bit back. We had, a massive infestation of rats in the coop as well. Uh, yeah. There was, there was 20 in there one night when we went to close the coop. You know, there's the not best. 20 in there every <laughs> night that we've seen, but you just like open the door and all of a sudden these rats go scurrying everywhere. And it's kind of disgusting. And you get like the, I don't know, I get those that weird feeling when that happens. But it all becomes like these projects that I be obsess over. I'm like, how do I get rid of the rats? How do I get the chickens? And I have like, I think I've become in my older age, weirdly obsessed about certain things that I was never obsessed about before. One, the lawn. I love when our lawn is cut neatly. I'm the one who cuts it and I obsess over it. And then what was the like, other one? What? There was two things that you were yeah, very the, dad like, about. Well, the, well, there's the, the chicken coop stuff. Like I want my yeah. chickens to lay. And then and if they don't lay, I'm like a businessman. I'm like, well, they got to go. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, here I was like former vegetarian. And now it's like, these chickens, they're going to be soup. Like They don't fucking start laying. And you're like, no, we have to give them a chance. And I'm like, why do I do this to myself? I've got so many projects on the go. And now I have a chicken project and a grass cutting project. And I have to give my, my head a shake. I'm like, I am becoming more compulsive, unable to rest as time goes on. It's like, no, I got to do the next thing, next thing, next thing. What else do I do? Hmm. That's like that, like the lawn and like the coop. There was one other one that was very dad. That was, I'm trying to think what it was. Can't remember, but there was two specifically. And I had pointed them out to you recently. I said, Look at your lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I know I just stand out the window and look at this lawn and I'm like, this is not me. What happened? I don't stand outside and look at or stand at the window and look at my lawn. You do now. I do now, apparently. Like, you just <laughs> you get old and I get, you know, we can talk about it, but like everything's changed about how I view the world from five years ago. It's Tell just me more like, about that. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there, but we'll let's, there. let's oh, talk about the, the, the big news. The big news. Well, we had a baby, that one. We had a baby. 
<laughs> we had a baby. Because the last time we spoke, I don't know how pregnant you were. If it was, I was overdue. I remember you that. were overdue at the time, right? You were, yeah. bit, you were a bit fiery, fiery, well, stressful. Yeah, it was unknown. Unknown, sitting in right. the end. And you do it for a job. Your job is to go in there and, and help women who are overdue or worried or yeah, they're in their in-between and then you face it yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, good, <laughs> can it's good she, practice. Yeah. Right. Like can <laughs> yeah. she actually live up to the stuff she preaches. Can she practice what she preaches or, and, and you did for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What was it like? Uh, well, it was good to put my, my uh, words where my mouth there, <laughs> because yeah, you're right. I've spoken a lot of people through, the waiting, the in-between, the unknown. And I'm a big advocate for trusting in the body's process. And I really had to trust my body's process and the timing of when birth would happen. And every day people would check in and say, you know, no baby yet, no news. And that can be really overbearing too, because then you feel like you're at the end of time and there's other people waiting, expecting, and the pressure's on. So all people. What, 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 what did you do <laughs> to, to actually make the shift? Because you definitely lost slid along the way where mm-hmm. it became too much, like you know, people calling, et cetera, and you not liking that because it made you feel like you were behind when really you weren't. What, what, what did you do to make those shifts? And in, in the end, did you feel like you got to a place where you were content in waiting and just being patient, even though the baby was two weeks late, I think, mm-hmm. at least, you know, according to the cycle of measurement. Yeah. Which is another thing in and of itself, but I probably, well, I, I sourced myself. I, I tapped into myself and what do I know? I always ask myself when I'm struggling, what do I know to be true? And I'd rehearse in my mind what I know to be true about birth and timing. I can hear our dog through both. Yeah, That's he's funny. guarding. I'll have to <laughs> give him a tap on the... He's doing a protect. Yeah, he's doing a protect. He's very um, alert. It's very alert. He's laying down though. No, he's standing up now. Oh, he's standing. Okay. Yeah, just tapping into myself. And when I felt that I couldn't pull from my own knowledge... I would outsource it. So I talked to people who also believed in the same process as me and ask them for their wisdom or even just running through what I already know. Hearing it from another person can be really encouraging. Ignoring. Do you need to tell him to stop? I'm just going to tell him to stop. Okay. He was pretty scared when I tapped on the window. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a big, big guard dog after that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking with other women who had either gone through it before or also trusted in my body and its capabilities, trusted in the timing of birth, when the baby's ready, she'll be ready or they'll be ready. We didn't know we were having a girl. And like we first, you first said to me, it was a really good testament to my own faith in my body. And do I really trust my body? Am I really in the patient realm of believing it's going to happen and it's right timing and trusting that I'm going to be safe and it's going to be okay. And we are doing it for the same reasons that we started doing it. So it's hard to do. Yeah. But 
<laughs> you know, I'm just thinking about thinking about it. And now that I'm doing a little bit more coaching than I used to, it just, you know, just so happened, I'm finding myself having to, again, like, look at, okay, what am I telling these people? And am I actually doing that for myself as well? And we'll go there too. But, you know, to just finish it off, you made a, you made a point about the, the measurement of when the baby was due may not have been accurate. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're thinking, oh, you're two weeks late but it's entirely possible that you're not two weeks late. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. when Joby came out, it turned out that that may have been the case that she might not have actually been late. So what could have gone wrong in the measurements? So I'm calling it a measurement. That's not the right. Yeah. Term. So let's say gestation. So gestation, we, gest- we gestate for 40 weeks. And so what they do, if you've never had a baby or been pregnant before, they take your last menstrual date and they basically calculate 40 weeks from that point that you will approximately be due. But because as humans, we like to have measurements to better understand things. We like to categorize everything. But the truth is, is that not everybody follows 40 weeks. Some people have their babies at 35 weeks or 38 weeks or 42 weeks. And every woman has a different cycle. And some people follow similar patterns, but not everybody. And even my pattern in my cycle from our first two children to our third had changed. So it made sense that maybe my birthing pattern had changed from when I was due. So um, she, when she was born, she had lots of vernix on her, which is a thick coating that covers all babies. But usually if they're late- they don't have any. And um, my placenta was super healthy. There is no calcification, which calcification is sometimes another sign that the placenta could be aging. Yeah. So she looked like she came at exactly the right time and she came in her own time and it was great and healthy and safe. And she's alert and alive and chunky. (laughs) She was a little chunker. It, it, uh, yeah, it's, it really reminds me of the notion that like we put a label on things and say, it has to be X. And if it's not X, then something's there's something wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah exactly. there's something wrong. Yeah. And we do that to everything. Yeah. Right. Down to like mm-hmm. being late for a meeting, mm-hmm. being you know, something's wrong. You didn't manage your time correctly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, some people have, some people have the right mindset where they just, oh, you know, maybe something happened, but a lot of people, it's like, they're quick to judge based on the labels and the guidelines that they've been given. And when it comes to birth, it's so hard to not accept that because you're worried about life or death. That's yeah. the fear that comes in. It's like, no, this is a serious matter. And I'm not saying it's not a serious matter because yeah, there's a baby growing inside you, but, and we probably are repeating some of the stuff we talked about in the last podcast, but the idea that this baby knows what it's doing, that my body knows what it's doing. It has done this for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And just because in the last, I don't know, however many, we decided that like it was this and otherwise, if it's not this, 
you know, what is it? 40 weeks, 42 weeks, mm-hmm. 40 then, weeks. They say, yeah, it's wrong. You need to do this. You need to be concerned. We need to do an ultrasound and all these things like elevate the stress around the situation when mm-hmm. maybe I'm not saying it's irresponsible to do those things, but maybe that makes it worse. Is that a fair comment? Yes. I feel like I have lots to say about that, but absolutely. <laughs> we, we over medicalize birth by a long shot. We treat birth like it's a medical condition. And I do believe that there is a time and a space for medicine and birth. Absolutely. There's, there's times where it's extremely beneficial that we are so, so lucky to have people who can help people have babies. Absolutely. But I'm going to say the majority of the time we don't need help. And women have forgotten how to birth because we don't see it. We don't talk about it until most women have never seen birth until they give birth to their first babies. So when you don't see something happening, you don't see what's normal, what's abnormal. You don't see you know, how to handle it. You don't talk about it until most people have had a negative first birth experience, unless it was quick. But if you have, like most average women, have a long labor for your first baby, a lot of people have trauma from it because they don't know what to expect. And they go in and they have things done to them because they don't have informed decision-making. The, I mean, you're opening up a can of worms that you're going, to, you're <laughs> going to have to speak about it. You can't just say they don't have informed decision-making and then not tell, tell them what you mean. So that is something, but to, to take it just one step back, when you said most people haven't seen birth before their first birth, are you suggesting that? we should see it like we should watch our mothers give birth what about men should like or young boys or teenagers like how would they have that experience or is it just the women that should see it before they give birth uh i might believe differently than a lot of people do but i absolutely think that people should see birth Women especially, but if you have the opportunity to have your children be present at your birth and have support, because that's really important, including a team so that your children are supported while you're giving birth, so they're not scared, so they know what to expect, they have a leeway into prepare, preparing to see you give birth, like boys and girls, I think that it's hugely beneficial, because then you take the fear out of it, right? There's fear in the unknown. Yeah. So if people can experience things, even as small children... It becomes nonchalant. You become, oh yeah, I've seen birth. I know what it's like. My mom gave birth. I watched. It's not a big deal. Or even farm kids is a really good one too because they see birth often through cows or goats and they see you know, instinct come through with the animals giving birth. And that's a great way to see it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And our girl saw you give birth. But before we go there, uh, informed consent. Do explain yourself, Jana. Yes, informed consent. Informed consent. So it is our job as human beings to ask questions. And one of the biggest downfalls about birth is that because we haven't seen it and because we don't talk about it, we don't always know what questions to ask. Doulas are quite popular now. I'm a doula. And that's a great way to learn. Having a doula is a great way to learn to ask questions because they kind of 
cue you in about things you could be curious about. But if you don't have a doula or you've never heard of one before, or you don't have a midwife, or you just go with your family doctor or an OB, you're going to be treated like a general patient who has a medical condition for the most part. There's a few gems out there who will encourage you to ask questions or get curious, but I always encourage people to get curious about everything. And really that's where informed consent stems from. So the more questions you ask, the more you learn, the more you inform yourself of the options that you have, depending on where you plan to give birth, hospital, home, birth center for American friends, who you're hiring, whether it's a midwife or an OB or specialists or a doula or a photographer or whoever you're inviting to your birth. Well, that's another thing that people don't know that they have an option for. You get to choose who you want at your birth. And we feel afraid to change our mind. If you've already established some sort of regime with somebody you trust, mm-hmm. if you don't like something, it's, it feels taboo to tell them you don't like it and you want a new care provider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause change in, 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 Again, before that, it's like this is life or death. People have miscarriages. People have this, you know, very bad births experiences, and therefore it becomes something that they want to have every everything of it controlled mm-hmm. to minimize the risk of that uh, potential traumatic event, you know, terrible mm-hmm. event if something did go wrong. Mm-hmm. And the flip side to that. You know, for for the for the partner, for the person who's giving birth, is to look at and say, how can I change the way that I'm interacting with this experience from a first thought basis? So what I'm getting at is like, I'll use the example of cold therapy, which is cold showers, cold plunges, etc. And I just I just learned this, and this is a specific example. So I am regurgitating from a very uh, fantastic breathwork coach who was talking about how if our first thought is negative into something, if we're going into a cold plunge and we're thinking, oh, this water is going to be cold, I just need to get through this, then we might be able to. We might be able to endure and get through, but we're creating a resistance before we've even stepped foot in that cold water. And if we were to change that first thought to this water is going to be revitalizing, it's going to be healing. It's going to just make me feel completely energized and alive and alert for the rest of the day and welcome it, welcome the cold, and then extrapolate that out to any challenge, anything that creates a resistance that we have to, to, to go against in our life, a hard race or a hard run, uh, a hard assignment, whatever it is, that's a chance to change our first thought relationship. And it's the same with birth where you can say, I'm going to do the best I can to not look at this like a painful experience I have to get through, but an experience that can change me, an experience that can connect me to my own power, experience that can connect me to my partner, to you know, the tribe of women or whoever's at this birth. Right. And, and that can, can shift everything. Cause someone's like, well, I wouldn't, I don't want my kids at my birth because I'm going to be screaming my head off. Or it's like, well, no, if they come, I can show them just how strong this body of mine is. And therefore that this body of theirs is, 
And this is what it can do. It can bring life into the world. And yes, it's not easy, but it, it, it changes everything when we change our mindset around it. And that's what you did. I mean, I'm touting your, <laughs> your superpowers here, but you did that for our girls in this situation, in this particular birth where they, the girl, our two girls who were 10 and six, they literally were in the bathroom with us. Cause you gave you had a water birth and they were, I, they were holding a cold cloth over your back. They were part of the process. They not watched you push. They touched the baby's head when it was uh, crowning, you know, you, you just like you had a moment of pause and they let them reach into the tub and touch this baby's head. Like we can't say we know exactly how that's going to shape them, but you gave them the opportunity to be changed by it potentially and to mm-hmm. change the story of birth for yeah. potentially generations. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a big, I guess but you're right about that because healing isn't linear. And even though our birth experience with our first to our third really has changed every single time, not one of them has been the same, but the healing that can happen, even through the act of our eldest watching her little sister being born, it, something changes within her to be able to see that it's safe especially when her experience maybe didn't feel safe within her body and within my body and within yours. So yeah, it absolutely can heal down the line to be able to have an experience like that tucked away in your belt, even if she never has any kids mm-hmm. to be able to be one of the people that can say birth can be safe. Yeah. It's hard it's to say whether scary. she's going to or not. <laughs> I can't read that one yet. Me neither. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be able to read it at 10. I don't know, but so that aside, you know, we were, we were doing pretty good. We, you know, we were powering through, we were very productive and intentional. And yeah, we had that a little bit of a, like I said, a slide back when we were a bit late, but now we have had Jovi Soshana Primus and she's very healthy, but safe to say that we're drownings, maybe not the right word, but like it is a fucking shift back for us. <laughs> right? Like it's basically we had two children and we had just gotten to the stage where they're more independent and we're able to really do things as a family and they can not take care of themselves, but they can keep themselves pretty busy. We can give them a homework assignment. They can do it. And then we decided to throw another baby in the mix. Uh-huh. And start over. <laughs> We're going to talk about the decided. Don't let me forget to ask you about okay. that. But the decided being that we this was a consciously conceived child. But yeah, back oh, to I also the- I also wanted to say that you'd asked me about how I felt being overdue, and mm. you were a huge help with that too. Even if you didn't feel it, even if you were feeling frustrated, you didn't ever show that to me because you kept me coming back to myself and trusting when I was feeling out of sorts. So thank you. You're very welcome. I was nervous. That would be a lie to say that I wasn't, but trusted you. And I think that's the role of the partner. The role of the partner isn't, at least in part, it's to, to trust your partner who's, who's, who's carrying this baby and is going to have to birth this baby, that they know what's happening and to not escalate the situation because of your own, you know, fears is it's, you have to, 
I think that we we had decided that at a certain point, if it hadn't happened, we would go check things out at the hospital. But that didn't happen. And and, and maybe we hadn't. No, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we just said, come when it comes. That's yeah, we kind of we kind of yeah. joked about it, made light of it, which helped me. We have a friend who's just announced that they were pregnant and they were going to have their baby in July. And you just kind of said, well, that's when our babies do. We oh, were doing yeah. January. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even though it was January. Yeah. Like, again, it just goes back to like, whether it's your, whether it's your like life partner or your girlfriend or whoever it is that's pregnant. Yeah. And I, I extend that out to like, when you trust somebody in this life, so not just with pregnancy, but whether they're a business partner, whether they're a friend and they're doing something because they say this is the way that they, they're going to do it. That you, to trust them is to, is, to, is to not call them out and say, well, maybe you should do this or have uh, you considered doing that, right? Like that's not trusting them. You can ask questions if you want, but to try and push them in a direction is, is to not trust them. And, and that's really hard to do, right? It's really hard yeah. to I think you and I do a good job of trusting each other. I trust your instincts on things. And I think you do the same for me. I mean, we talk about things that we disagree on, but for the most part, I think we're pretty supportive. Do you trust my instincts with the piece of shit truck I just bought? I do. <laughs> I do. That's, that's a whole other story. But I guess the, 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 the message in this for couples is you got to give your partner some trust because that's going to empower them. And when you empower them, it strengthens the bond. It strengthens the relationship that they have. Because when you doubt them and you come home and you're like, well, this person doesn't trust anything I do. It's, it, you know, because we've had that in our relationship. And for me, I found it emasculating and you've probably found it demeaning or whatever when I've, I don't know if demeaning is the right word, but you know what I mean when I haven't trusted you. And that can go on for years in a relationship. It's a loop. It's a loop, right? And you have to pull it back and be like, no, I chose this person because I believed in who they were. And that means that I choose to, to trust them as they go through the iterations of who that person is, who they are throughout their lives. Cause it's not stagnant. Right. Mm-hmm. You didn't marry a corpse. You, <laughs> you know, you married a person that's growing and changing and evolving. And so that trust mm. sometimes gets stretched to very far limits. As it should. As it should. Because if you're not, you're not really exploring the 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 infinite reaches of the relationship. Mm-hmm. You're trying that's, to keep it in a box. That's how you learn about what it means to trust, is you let it stretch, you let it grow. You see where it can lead, what it can stretch to. Yeah. And then when they're wildly wrong, like I often am, <laughs> you just got to roll with it. Right? <laughs> you got to roll with it. <laughs> you can't make them feel bad about it. I'm picturing pizza dough. Like if you're stretching pizza <laughs> dough and you just want to see how far you can stretch it before it breaks. Yeah. There's your, there's your TED talk. 
TEDx. That's a TEDx. That's not getting TED. That's a TEDx. No, it's a little lamer. (laughs) How to make your relationship like pizza dough. That's a lame joke. (laughs) That's it. Dad jokes. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Lawns and dad jokes. Lawns and dad jokes. And now plenty of brain fog. This goes back to like the, the sensation of drowning. I was thinking about it before we were chatting. Because we tried to have this podcast like three times. Just you fell asleep, two of them, I think. No, actually, that's not true. You fell asleep one of them. them, And then on the second one. I was ready. And then you were like, let's just do it on Saturday. I know. You were ready 40 minutes late. (laughs) Still ready. (laughs) I know. This is where I get like, I'm tired. (laughs) And then, oh, man. What was it? Quinn was like, but she got ready. I know. (laughs) She brought on the guilt trip and I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm still going to bed and mom and mom's going to encapsulate her placenta, Which her I own placenta. Do. How about that? I'm very glad shit. I did it. Very glad I did it. <laughs> yes. I think people are only getting like a small taste of how truly hippie I am. Well, talk about what's happening with your hair. Of course they can't see you. Yeah. I um, decided to get dreadlocks which I've always wanted to do, but it it stems from me having the love of changing my look and losing my hair very badly postpartum. So postpartum hair loss is a normal thing that happens when you start to have a dip in hormones after you give birth, usually around three months, four months. And I get it really bad. So I was jokingly saying I was going to just shave my head And then you suggested, well, why not do the dreadlocks you've always wanted first? And I said, that is an excellent idea. So here I am, dreadlocks. They look cool. They look cool. I don't love it, but I did not practice informed consent when I was getting them done. I didn't ask very many questions. I asked questions. I didn't know all the questions I should have asked. My hair was really long, and I thought that the dreads would be longer, which would look cooler. But they... uh, shortened quite a bit. So if I'd known that I probably would have added extensions, but I still, I like it up. I think it's cool up and it is Mm -hmm. cool. And I let go of my hair already. So if I have to shave it, I have to shave it. And I will shave it with you. Doesn't mean I'm not going to shave your head. I could, but we'll shave the back. Yes. (laughs) I need you to do the back. That will be when we do that podcast on the home front, we'll be both head shaven, but considering how much money we spent on those dreadlocks, uh, just keep them a little longer. <laughs> I, I will. I will try to keep them for a few years, see how long I can get them. Oh, I, well, that's, that's good. I wasn't even expecting that long, but you, you're, you're feeling better. We had the birth at home. You tore a little, the healing has been a lot slower than our other two children, which has meant for us less sex, uh, less working out together, less walks together, less going out into the world together. Like last, you know, when we had our second child, we were living in New York and we were all over New York pretty quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. spending whole days still playing tourist in Manhattan at the time. And this one has been a lot slower and, I don't know if it's because we're a bit older. I don't know if it's because we have so much stuff from a, you know, from homeschooling and, but like 
a lot has fallen off. Like we've both been exasperated and exhausted. And this kid sleeps better than any of our other kids. And yet we, well, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but it's been a, it's been a bit tough. And I'm like, I'm broken. Like <laughs> I've got injuries all over. I don't you mind that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't mind, uh, I don't mind the little bumps or bruises uh, from working out, but like, I just feel like everything has reached a level of, okay, if you don't change, then <laughs> universally, I'm going to force the change. With your body, you mean? Body, mind, like a yeah. brain fog. So I have, a, I have a different outlook than I did with our first two, which I think is part of the reason why it's been slower. Part of the reason is I'm older and my body heals well, but I feel different if I'm out of alignment, way different. I feel like I could tolerate it better when I was younger. So with our first, I was up and doing everything as soon as I could be, which was two weeks after, two weeks postpartum. And I got really sick. It was not a good place for me mentally or physically or emotionally. And our second, I, well, I guess we, we just wanted to do a lot of things. We we're living in a different country and we're traveling. So I didn't take the time. I felt the need to be as present as I was with all of the housekeeping and meals. And I mean, we had a three-year-old, so I was busy. Couldn't say I need to rest. And this one, I could be more intentional about it because you've been working from home and with all of the restrictions, we've been staying home. We homeschool. So we've got that at home. And it really forced us to follow our baby's schedule. So she sleeps, which we know what happens when she doesn't sleep now, <laughs> having gone out and come back home for some things. And so it just like the priorities changed. I think my body needed more time to heal, been really intentional about listening to what I need. And I, you were so helpful after I had her. You keep making me look good. This is well, not premeditated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like more so than ever, you just understood that I needed more help. I needed more time to heal. And yeah. so you were doing more of what I would do, taking on more tasks. Yeah. And I think that that, that was a labor of love and it also has added to you know, my tendency to think I'm invincible you know, for periods of time until I realize I'm not. And then it's like, I have amnesia and then I think I'm invincible as soon as I start feeling better. And then, <laughs> and then I, you know, it's like pile it on and I can't say no. And I, I think I can't say no more now than before. So I don't know what's going on for me there, but back to a morsel of wisdom for those that are listening and have they're, they're, ha they're maybe having a baby. How has your, how will your advice when you start practicing as a doula again, mm -hmm. change on the integration of baby coming into the house from Joby number three versus, you know, where you were at after the first two and how you've been working with your clients in that regard. Mm -hmm. That's something that I am learning more and more about, especially this time around. 
I think my advice would change and has been changing in the last few years watching women give birth to focusing a lot on the postpartum period. So a lot of people focus on being healthy pregnant and then throw all of that wisdom out of the window as soon as they have their baby. And then it becomes all about the little person keeping the little human healthy and alive and forgetting entirely about yourself. (laughs) But the mother and the baby are a system and keeping mom healthy and sane is just as important as keeping the baby healthy and taken care of. And I trust that system more now having put more energy into my postpartum integration. So I know how to be pregnant. I know how to give birth. And even though my trust was wavering when it felt like it was going on forever, I did still trust that process. And I've done a lot of work and put a lot of time educating myself over what it takes to do that. But uh, this is my first time really preparing for my own postpartum and really bringing my partner into it because we're a system as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I'm still newly postpartum. Jovi's two and a half months old. So we're still adjusting. Like you said, my healing took a lot longer this time, but part of that was because I needed to heal differently. I had gotten stitches if I had torn before. And this time I had somebody look at it and basically tell me that I could try to heal it without stitches, which was something I wanted to do. And so I, what is, what is the benefit of healing without stitches? Yeah. I've, I've had them and they're extremely uncomfortable. I couldn't sit, I couldn't move freely. Um, and even though they're dissolving stitches, I've, they've never dissolved. So I had to get them removed every time. I just found that it was so uncomfortable for me to have to work around my bottom all the time. And I felt that the scar tissue from the stitches themselves was so stiff afterward that it impacted everything I did anyway, impacted how I moved, impacted when we had sex. Like it it was another healing after it had healed to break down the scar tissue in a way that felt flexible and mobile. Yeah. And this time around so far, it feels like I had to be very intentional about how I moved my body while it was healing, but the skin feels more flexible. It doesn't feel as tense or as tight over top of the wound as it did with stitching. And that's not for everybody. And sometimes you really do need stitching. Like there's different degrees of tearing. If my care provider had said to me, you know what, you probably would benefit better from having stitching, which I trust her to say to me, then I would have, I would have done it. But she confidently said, as long as you're careful and intentional about how you move and how you heal this, she's like, yeah, you could, you could heal it. So I put different practices into play and I don't regret it. It's just mm-hmm. taking slower because the scar, not the scar tissue, but well, it is scar tissue still, but the scar tissue is different than what I've experienced before. So I'm just having to learn how my body is now and how it's healing now. Yeah. And you're doing it. It hasn't been without frustration and tears. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important that people know that, like we talk about it and I don't want it to be like, Oh, we just heal. So, and 
<laughs> and yeah. it was perfect. It was so and everything wonderful. went back to normal. <laughs> and then I bled, but I didn't get sessions because the body heals. And like, of course, that's true. <laughs> the body does heal and it can take care of itself. Yeah. But like you've you've been frustrated with the pain, both mm-hmm. in sex, both without sex. You've been you've been frustrated with lack of mobility. You've been frustrated with the slower weight loss from mm-hmm. other pregnancies. And I and so this has been a journey for you. Absolutely. Yeah. But I wanted it. I've been calling in like full trust in trusting what I was feeling and going with that. Realistically, if I had decided to heal my tear without stitching and then I needed stitching, like if it didn't heal properly, I would have to go to the hospital, get it cut and then start healing over again. And that was the risk that I took by trying it this way. So it, it was, I knew what I had to do to heal it, which I could talk about. And I knew what the risk was if it didn't work, which was worth it to me because I have done the stitching before. So I wanted to try without, but yeah, I've been really frustrated because I've had my body bounce back really fast, unhealthily, but really fast. And I've had it bounce back pretty quickly, healthily. And this time I needed to be really intentional and really slow and embrace the slowness and trust the slowness and listen to my body and healing this way forced me to do that. What was, what was the way you mentioned that you could explain the way yeah, the healing so, without, without the stitches? So one thing is I had to keep my, my legs really close together so that the skin had contact and create scar tissue. I also had to keep very, very clean with sitz baths and which is salt water, like Epsom salts in water. And I had to um, like use a peri bottle. That's every, like everybody who has a baby knows what a peri bottle is. It's just a bottle of water that dilutes whenever you go to the bathroom. Um, I had to keep my legs up when I was going to the bathroom. And I also used um, seaweed, strips of seaweed that I would get wet and like place on my perineum as a way to hold together the tissue throughout the day. And I used honey, which is antimicrobial. And you stayed in bed for. I stayed in bed. Yeah. That was really hard actually. Yeah. So I, well, I stayed in the room fully for the first week. And then I started to come out to the living room for the second week, but barely moving. Like I was walking very slow, shuffling. So trying to keep my knees together and like shuffling just my feet, not taking strides. And it was very hard to move that slow, very hard and very hard to not want to just get up and do like a meal for the girls. You took on a lot, which I'm very grateful for. But it, it also, like I said, forced me to be a lot slower with everything, mm. which helped me to bond with Jovi even more and help me to rest more which aids in the healing too. Yeah. I always envy how slow you're able to be. <laughs> I, and not just in this, but when you, when you need to, you take things slow. Like I said, I don't, I don't really have that slow button. No, well, sometimes I do, but it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not often on. <laughs> no. If I have it, it's not often turned on. And, and I, yeah, I feel like, I feel like that's catching up to me. And, uh, 
you know, I don't know what to do about it. Well, I, I do know what to do about it, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah, it just, it caught up to me. It caught up to me sooner than it caught up to you. And that's kind of what happens between you and I, I find. I feel like there's some things that you go through a lot quicker than I do. And then other things that I go through and get to the other side quicker. This is one of them. I exhausted myself. And you have been exhausting yourself. So you'll get there. (laughs) I know. I know. That B word burnout is like, is dancing around my head all the time with the the huge amount of stuff that's on that's on the plate and uh the, for, for me it's like yeah you look at it and you're like how do you wh- where do i turn it off and i can teach people how to do it you go back to it, it's like i teach people and you do, do it, it yourself but, but then do i actually do it myself not so you have much. moments you have moments. moments yeah and it's usually when i'm pulling you into the deep dark the deep Slow feminine, down. the deep dark feminine energy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you know, I, I could use that to talk about what one thing that, that came up to, for me recently, which was a uh, one of my coaching clients. You know, we've we talked and, and we've gone through the paces, and it's it's very clear that she has a high degree of emotional unavailability. And I was like, this is very different than anything that I've expressed or sorry that i've i've faced as a as a coach generally because people that that come to me are, are very emotional about something that's happened in their life right and in those instances it's not about them feeling the emotion it's about them understanding why that emotion is there how it came to be there and once they have an awareness of that then we untangle how they can be accountable and or under just understand this thing so that it as it shows its head in in their day-to-day life they can deal with it but i hadn't faced a someone who was uh, emotionally unavailable because then i was like well how do i help this person untangle the web of what caused it in the first place if i don't have the entry point of emotion. Now, to make a long story short, you know, working through that is not, you know, not what I'm talking about here. It's I realized in the process that I have been emotionally unavailable to myself in a lot of ways. And it was interesting to see that mirrored back to me. Mm. And in you we talk about you as a doula and then you're coaching or you're 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 educating your clients on something and then you then have to go through it yourself, right? And I'm like, it's not that I it's not that I don't understand emotion, but I often intellectualize my own challenges that I have, my own struggles, because I understand very deeply the process of how we come to be patterned and triggered in the ways that we are. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it doesn't work to just understand how to deal with it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. And other times, instead of understanding it, you have to feel it. You have to go through the varying degrees, whether it's rage, whether it's sadness, to, to also release the thing that is you know, creating a blockage for you 
holding you back. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Now I see what's going on. Is like I gotta, I have to go through this again. And that cycle for me has been, I don't know, a few years. What would you say? Two years since. Since I was raw, the emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. before like, that, you know, very just, long cycles, right? You're in, yeah, you're in the cycle of integrating that at the moment. That's your, your medicine journey is in integration. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see it and I can feel it and I can touch it and I can sometimes taste it. And, it, and so it's right there, but then the wall comes up mm-hmm. and it's like, nope, I'm not letting that through. Right. It's the, the ego's trying to win you over. The ego blocks it. It rationalizes. We don't have time to do this right now. Yeah. And you're like, no, I got it. I got to, I have to make the time mm-hmm. to be. And again, it's like, it's going back to that. I know we're getting, it's late. So, and you know, we've been drinking and, uh, but we think about time and that's part of the block is when I associate just like two weeks from the birth being late, when we associate a timeline with things, I am this age, I shouldn't be here, Mm -hmm. or I don't have time to deal with this because I have to do that. And then we start thinking about this this very linear uh, way of looking at time and how we have to get things done in this sequential order. And then you have the outside things coming in, validating Mm -hmm. that you, oh, you shouldn't be doing this right now. You should be doing this right now. Just adds to the pressure of it. Yeah. And, and I've been toggling in between all of it. And the Jovi factor has been interesting because on one hand, we felt this interestingly conscious shift of having her come into our life. And what I mean by that is, I shouldn't say conscious shift. We felt this big shift of a lot of things that we had intended, things that we've been working towards, goals that we've had. They're starting to manifest into our life. And that could just be a factor of time, the, being the time that we've spent working on these things. Uh, you, know, you brought up something where you, you, know, you said it was because Jovi was consciously created. And we, I want you to talk about that. But I've been pulled because there's like this flow of that happening in our lives that I'm I'm present for and I'm feeling. And then on the flip side of it's like, nope, I got a third kid and all these things are happening. And then it like pulls me right back in to be very linear and focused and sequential and having to like get things done in this order. And as like the good things are happening, instead of more allowing of it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though I'm seeing it happen, I become almost more guarded. And it's like, oh, these things are happening. I can't lose these things. I need to mm-hmm. do everything I can to protect these things and move these things from one place to the next place. So that's what I'm, <laughs> I'm experiencing. But How's that working for you? <laughs> No, it never, it never works well when you're pulled, when you're pulling yourself in different directions like that. Ever. It, mm-hmm. it, it literally feels like a pulling. It feels like a pulling a part of your mind. It feels like a pulling a part of your heart. 
you know, you're pulling it into two different directions. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't feel like that pizza dough you mentioned, <laughs> you know? So my rant aside, when, when I brought up things like, wow, look at all these things that have happened in the last few months since Jovi's come into the world. And you said it's because she was consciously conceived. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. I feel like we need to talk about that. I feel a calling. I felt it with every one of our kids to some degree. I didn't really know what it was the first time, but a little soul saying that they wanted to come into the world. And I was going to say, I, I don't know if I had heard a calling or if we had heard it and then spoken about it, but I have felt a little soul wanting to come through with every one of our children, although I only really understood what it was with the third one. And uh, you can choose whether you want to say yes or say no. Pregnancy can be a choice. And when we had spoken about it, it felt like we were on the same page with it, that we had both heard the calling and felt that we both wanted that person to come through. And so when we decided to actively try to get pregnant, um, and it didn't work for a while, actually, it felt like, well, it, it felt like it was supposed to happen. And then we'd kind of given up and then she came through. <laughs> but I felt that her voice, which felt very masculine to me for the beginning when I wasn't pregnant and even during the pregnancy, when I'd had dreams or visions of her, it felt like she was very clear about what she was coming to do. And I don't know what that is, but I do know that since she has come through us, there has been a complete shift in energy and it doesn't feel like we fully stepped into it, but it feels like we're stepping into it. And it feels like her energy, her big clear energy has kind of come through and the shift has continued through us and it will be a ripple effect throughout our lives. I don't know if that, that sounds very vague, but it, it's, it feels all conscious. It feels like there's no stopping it. You're bringing the woo-woo shit onto the ramble. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I wanted to ask though, because when you say you have a choice mm-hmm. to say yes or no, it's somebody who is struggling to have a child, mm-hmm. maybe offended or taken aback or inspired by encouraged by that comment how like what would you say to someone who is struggling and they're like well i don't feel like i have a choice because i want one mm-hmm. and it's not happening now there's there's a rabbit hole you can go down there I, I, because we actually ended up reading was it no uh what was the one that we read during the pregnancy where the 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 guy spirit babies spirit babies that's that's kind of what you're talking about right yeah who's that by do you remember i don't remember his name i'm sorry that's funny actually because we when we decided to consciously conceive we'd also gotten a dog around the same time and he ate half the book so we didn't have the ending to the book (laughs) (laughs) that's a clear message that's a clear message um, yeah, I, that's, I mean, it is touchy to talk about that because you can't tell somebody 
who's been trying to have a baby or struggling with infertility, oh, just stop being stressed about it or just relax and it will happen or um, keep trying or, you know, asking questions about what they have tried. It's, it's all taboo. It's all sensitive. What, what I would say to some, I wouldn't say anything to them because it's, it's their own journey. And if they wanted to talk about it, I just listen to them. Honestly, I don't, I try, especially with pregnant people or people who are trying to conceive there's a big difference between needing to be heard and asking questions. And I try to only answer when there's questions asked um, or encourage them to ask their questions of themselves. But I think on a soul level, sometimes we're ready and the babies aren't. And sometimes the babies are and we're not. So I think it goes both ways. And I think that sometimes if we're never ready, those little souls find another way to come through. So I don't think that that bothers them. I think that there's many paths for many souls. And speaking of paths, you're on a newish one. Uh, You have decided to take a course on animism. Am I saying that right? Yeah. which is like shamanism, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the last month, you started taking this course, piling all all these things. And and now you're on on Wednesday nights, you're taking an animism slash shamanism course. So what, what are you, what are you learning there? And what's, what's shifting for you with a month, month in the bag with this, this course? Well, I think it's all a part of the big shifting that's been happening. (laughs) I've always been intrigued about it. I think that I have an intuition about things like this. So there's always been a draw for me. I have been very curious about what it takes to learn more about shamanism. Can you just explain what the course is? What the course is and then what shamanism and or animism is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So animism is a derivative of shamanism essentially, but it's the, I guess, European Celtic traditions. So animism is focused on nature and respecting the rhythms and the flow and the connection to nature and um, trusting the medicine journey of things like plant medicine, journeying, Um, like the spirit that lives in all of the living things that live in the world and respecting the land that you're living on, even if it's a land you came from or a land you're borrowing, helping people connect to their body through nature and through the land, which has always resonated for me, always and forever. And I feel like animism is a word that can box everything I've ever felt without actually knowing it had a word. Uh, shamanism is basically a medicine person who it's a medicine person who shows other people how to find the medicine within their body or how to seek healing within their body. And animism is no different in that definition. It just has more of a connection to finding yourself in nature, connecting yourself in nature, trusting your body, which is nature. So it it all falls under what I already believe. (laughs) Yes. And my hair is 
locking in all that medicine. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, right. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Yeah. You got the hair. You, uh, you look the part, <laughs> the stereotype it. Is that no, what no, it is? <laughs> no, no, no. I, but what, like, what is it that you're learning in this course and like, what if it is shocking? I'm trying to think it's late. So I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank because we've had a few conversations yeah. End of the day, like, this is what I learned. Yeah. Uh, so I, we're spending a lot of time journeying. This is what this part of the course is focused on. So it is all about meeting your deepest knowing without all of the external ego and fluff interrupting it. So a journey is going inside yourself. Usually you use a rhythm so people journey using song, they use drums, they use meditation, they use dance, silence. There's so many ways to go within, but you're blocking out external forces that might make you think or derive solutions in a way that is not within your own understanding of yourself. So for example, you might feel like you should have X, Y, and Z at the age that you are at, right? You're 30, almost 36. So maybe you feel that you should have, I don't know, a giant mansion of a house, let's say. Um, that is an outside expectation that you have put on yourself that is maybe not what you need or want truly. So something like journeying gets you down to the core of only the bones within yourself where you can find your innate wisdom and ask questions of yourself or a power animal, which is the animism aspect to it to help guide you deeper. Can you, can you explain how one journeys? How one journeys? Yeah. You're just, you're saying journeys, but I'm, I'm not sure everyone would know what that means. What a journey is. Okay. Yeah. So the way that we do it is there's a steady rhythm of a drum and you, in your mind, you go to a sacred place. So a place that you know, well, a place that you trust in nature and you meet allies there. So it could be a plant ally. It could be an animal ally and they take you to different realms. So there's a lower realm, there's a middle realm and there's an upper realm. And in those realms, you meet peoples, animals, spirits who help you answer questions or discover things or learn things about yourself. So a power animal, for example, people are assigned an animal whose characteristics they are in need of knowing more about. The first power animal I was ever assigned by a shaman was a snake. And at first I was appalled not because I didn't like snakes. I mean, snakes are cool and everything, but I thought in my mind, snakes were devious and secretive and scary. And the more I yeah, got to not know, to mention, I thought you were going to like kill me. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're terrified of snakes. Um, that's so funny too. But I, uh, I started to ask more questions. What is a snake really like? What are their attributes or associated with a snake that are beautiful and powerful? They're sleek. They, are associated with medicine and healing. Like the old medicine symbol has a snake around a staff. 
they're associated with change because they shed their skin and they grow from that. And so all of those things became the lessons that I needed to learn at that stage in my life. I needed to learn about resting and digesting my food, not literally, but really slowing down. I needed to learn how to slow down. And I feel that I have learned the lessons of the snake that it needed to show me. And I've recently been assigned another power animal. I'm uh, now with the panther. What so was I'm I? learning about that. You were a bat. That's it. Did I ever get a new one? Yes. Do you remember? I assigned you one. It was a golden eagle. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I thought it was an eagle. Yeah. So I never understood the bat. <laughs> I think that there was lessons in there that you needed to learn, but I think you learned them pretty quickly. The, just, just to, again, to beat it to death, it's not a meditation. A meditation is more than anything, consciously connecting with your breath and detaching from your thoughts. Yes. So that you are, you are in this, this state of rested awareness where you're, you know, where you're, you're aware of your breath and you're, and you're, you're with presence. You're with meditation presence. is about being fully present. But it, when you're journeying, similarly, your eyes might be closed. There, there is generally some sort of rhythmic beat to guide you, but you're mm -hmm. following the thoughts that come into your mind, or at least certain thoughts that come into your mind that take you where, to your point, there's a power animal, there's uh, a, a sacred place for yourself, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's signs that are there to inform you about things, but you're, you're following those thoughts. Is that fair? Or a, a shaman or, or, or somebody is helping you follow those shot, uh, those thoughts in a, in a journey setting. Yeah. You could be, you could be guided by someone for sure. Meditation is really what you should do before you journey. So in order to be where you need to be following in a journey, you need to have a clear mind. So if your ego is playing in your journey, you're not going to actually find the answers that you need to seek. The, the purpose is to go in to help learn things. So whether you're learning the answer to a question, whether you're learning more about yourself, whether you're learning how to be present for another person, whether you're learning how to heal from something, you're going there to seek wisdom deep within yourself. So not necessarily following your thoughts. It doesn't feel like that. It feels more like you're tapping into something that you don't always talk to. Does that make sense? So it's not like a train of thought, like, oh, I hear a bird. And that reminds me of this time when I was little, where I saw a bird sitting on my window and then I saw its nest. And like, it's not following a train of thoughts in that way. What's the skill associated then with it? Like, to learn how to journey well, mm -hmm. is there a is there a thing that you're learning to do that enables you to to do what you're saying to to journey versus to follow a train of thought versus to meditate? Is there a skill that you're learning to make that happen more readily, more impactfully? Mm -hmm. Letting go of your ego, the good thought. No, not the good thought. The good question that. I am being taught to ask is, is this something when I'm in a journey, is this something that I would say, is this something that Jana would say, does this sound like Jana? Because if it does, it's most likely my ego typing in. If it's something that sounds more 
intuitive, more like it's coming from a deep, wise part in myself. And it's not just something I would come up with on my own. Then I'm more likely following the wisdom that's there rather than my ego. Is this something that, that anybody can do? Yes, totally anybody. And what's really cool about that is that even though you may be taught one way to do it, it could evolve into a way that's more your own. So some people can't journey the way that I can. I'm pretty visual, so I can see images in my mind or I can feel emotions associated with what's happening, what I'm seeing. But some people might write it all down. Some people might hear things. Some people might draw and then get some sort of vision. So it's not... It's not just one way. There's just like a root to it. And then lots of different filaments expanding from that. But I, I'm learning it. So this is, I've, I've tapped into it before, but this is more of a practicing and practicing it quicker, going into a journey quicker than I've done before. And then integration after, which is really the part that I'm most interested in because it's the part that I think I struggle with the most. Well, it's the part we all struggle with the most. Yeah. We all do the the things like you go back you go to like a finger pointing to the moon, which is the name of my buddy Jason's book, but it's it's a Buddhist proverb, right? Don't mistake the finger for the moon. So the finger pointing being the modality, the vehicle, like yoga, like meditation, like journeying for the wisdom or uh God, essentially, that is the moon. It's the, everything else is in, in one way, it, in some ways, a false idol. It's a, it's a red herring. It's not like it's, it's not actually the thing. So if you get mm-hmm. attached to it, mm-hmm. now you're trapped in this and you're missing the point, right? I think I'm very feminine with that, though. I've never felt like if I've learned a way to connect or to get deep or to release whatever I'm holding on to, it's never just been the only way I can do it. I free flow between sitting in meditation to dancing, to just making an altar space for myself, to journeying, to crying and writing my heart out, to gardening, to like, I I free flow between all of those things and don't feel like there's just one. Yeah. Whereas I notice you feel like shit if you haven't meditated and a week. Yeah. I'm not very enlightened. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> not what I'm I, saying. <laughs> no, I mean, I, that's, that's me, me joking, but your point is correct. I turn things, I turn what should, what are healing practices into habits that I need to perfect and do regularly and own. And I don't flow in and out of them for very long. They, they come in and they, they become this, this thing that I obsess over, at, you know, after the, the shine of a, the, the first few sessions is, is done. And that brings me to what I was saying before, which is the integration where you do the thing, but then whatever the lesson was, if it's a specific lesson, like you learned it on a journey or you had a counseling session or you had a coaching session, how do I actually apply that into my life through practice and action? I don't mean practice like, I just mean the doing of it. And mm-hmm. it's the same with 
meditation. It's like, okay, I just meditated or I am meditating because I'm stressed and I'm experiencing a low degree of stress, sorry, low level stress, stress, which is like kind of a constant tremor of stress. And I'm experiencing this thing. And that's when I need to meditate. Not every morning at 6.15 a.m. Because that's the time I said I was going to meditate. And that's integrating what it is into your life. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's where it becomes more so the moon than the finger pointing to it. Because you're connecting with the thing that it was there to help you with in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that's where these all these wonderful practices that we do get a bad rap because then we just get sort of addicted. And then we end up switching to, Oh, I tried yoga. I tried, I tried this specific type of meditation and this specific type of yoga didn't work, but this one's now working. And then that one stops working. Now this one starts working. (laughs) You do an ayahuasca ceremony, you do a psilocybin or mushroom ceremony and and it just becomes the thing that you're doing, but you're, you're, you're not iterate or not, excuse me, integrating what you're taking away so that you're not so dependent on the ceremony or the journey. They're always wonderful and they're always there, but when we need it, when we become attached to the doing of it, I think that it, it's maybe missed the point is that, am I, saying that I think I'm on you're on a ramble (laughs) well I'm on a ramble (laughs) no yeah no you are on the mark and and I think you're right because you lose the ceremony in and of itself because the ceremony is not the thing you do at the time you decided to do it it's what you do in between then and how in tune you are with what you need when you need it Mm -hmm. and I actually I was asked today what did this pregnancy and birth teach you And I think that's a great question to ask you because integration after birth is not just for me. It's for you. It's for the girls. And I know what I've learned, but I I don't know what you've learned or what you're learning, I should say, because I'm learning it in the aftermath. You're learning what you're learning or you're learning what I'm learning? No, I'm learning what what I'm learning. And I'm I'm learning about really trusting what I know to be true about my body and the timing of it really trusting slowness and healing, really trusting you and me and our unit as a couple. And all of that is a part of my integration in this period of my life. So what are you learning in this integration period? The, the thing that was most uh, dramatic in, in this experience was, so when Jovi was born, it was incredible. And you're in this, this beautiful energy in your present. And I'm saying you as in that's me and, and how we were and how we were feeling. And then that starts to wane and you start to get, or I start to get pulled back into, all right, none of my, uh, you know, the people that I consult for or the deals that I have going on give, you know, give a shit. It's like, time to get on with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had really wanted to stay in that energy and just be with it and trust that everything would be okay outside of it. And, and, but I, I started to get pulled back in really quickly, which was typical of me slower than it wasn't in, in, in the other two 
but still quicker than I wanted it to be. And then Joby got attacked by our cat. And this was a real fucking freaky situation, completely unexpected of the cat, um, who was a great cat and had shown in the first month. No she's, time. she's still alive, by the way. Yeah, That's yeah. not was as in she's not alive anymore. She's just not ours anymore. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we just to make that long story short, in this freak second of us popping outside to check on uh, the chaotic situation that was happening out there, uh, our cat bit Jovi in the head. And it was, and I walked back in and I saw my daughter in a pool of blood and it was horrific and it was traumatic and surreal. Like it was just, I'd never, ever in my wildest dreams could have dreamed something like that. And unfortunately, after I dreamed it a lot and that sucked. Uh, Anyway, we, she ended up being completely fine. She had to go on antibiotics in case there was an infection. There was no stitches needed because there were puncture wounds. And, uh, and that really shook us both to the core. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess, you know, going back to emotionally available or unavailable, I mean, I was, we were both bawling. I was just in tears with that. And that brought me back into the present and just, you know, this complete shift of perspective into she, we, our family, this moment, family in general is all that matters. And it was really also simultaneously tied to a lot of what you and I believe to be some pretty terrible actions by our government here in Canada. And also to an extent, many of the citizens of Canada, you know, how much, I don't know how much of that's media spin. I don't know. And I don't really want to go into that, but it shook all that loose as well. Like all these things that we're worried about and are obsessing over, or at least I was gone. And now I'm back in this place where, you know, you get the nice pleasantries from your your friends at work and it's, and then, you know, everyone wants to make sure everyone's okay. And then once they know everyone's okay, they want you back. And then I get pulled back in and there's a lot of really exciting things that have pulled me in and in pulling me back in what I feel still called to is trying to not trying to, but wanting that presence of the moment with, with her and with us and having it more than we've ever had it, but not liking that I'm allowing myself to be pulled. So maybe that's what it's about is, and it, and it, it, it does come down to trust because Pulling is that I don't trust that it will be okay if I don't address what's being asked of me to address both by myself and by others, right? Mm-hmm. I have my own projects. I am partner and or consultant and or whatever to many, many projects. Mm-hmm. And I, because I've, you know, you and I both know, and maybe some of the listeners know that, you know, we've had some very bad projects, well, good projects that ended very badly for us and for some, despite an unbelievable effort and commitment and investment and emotional investment and financial investments, et cetera. And ever since the, those, prior to those, but ever since those as well, like it's hard for me to trust that if I don't act uh, 
you know, instantaneously and with complete and other ownership of everything, you know, that it's, it's not going to be, or it's going to be okay. And, and so that's what this is about it for me, I think is, is she's asking me to trust that it's going to be okay and be present for the family and be present for myself and, and trust that the rest of these things that you know, the balls in the air are not going to come crashing down on us this go around. And that's what I want. I know that's what I want, but it's incredibly scary and hard to, you know, if I'm consider it like me straddling the two things and to just bring that foot all the way over mm-hmm. into one. It's good visual. Me straddling or the foot? No, <laughs> just understanding they're in two places and yeah. the fear of just coming to one side. Yeah. That coming to one side is when we are feeling the most grounded and the most centered and the most at peace and the most in flow is when we are aligned with ourselves. We are aligned with that voice that is saying, do this, and we are trusting it and we are doing it. And it doesn't mean it's going to work out in a practical way. Something might, there might be collateral damage, but you're not focused on whether or not that's a bad thing you're, if you, because you trust in the greater, the greater stuff that's at work for your life. Yes. And, uh, and uh, you know, for me, I know, it, it, I don't know, maybe it seems like I do that more. I don't. I'm more often than not allowed, allowing myself to be pulled into two worlds or in between two worlds. And I know that that's not healthy for me because it doesn't feel healthy. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question, Jana Primus? I think it does, Joel Primus. I think that was really, really good. I didn't know you had thought about it, the integration at all. Or maybe you hadn't and you just pulled that out of your ass, but I think you're on it. No, I'll never know. <laughs> I'll never know. How how are you doing? We uh we've been going for a while. It's nearly midnight. The last two nights, you've you've done a placenta, and then you planned our garden <laughs> planting, and you and I encapsulated late. it, and you encapsulated that that placenta. Do you want to? Do you want to leave it here and reconvene, or now have I just? got you going and you're like no i want to keep talking <laughs> i like i like talking to you it's fun Aww. talking this way it's this like is, we're on a our, date this is our date night it, well technically it is now if it's almost midnight see see dear listeners you get this is uh, the time that we have carved out we've decided to share it with you <laughs> we decided to talk to each other from separate rooms of the house using electronic device I can I can still hear you through the door. Does that? Count? I can hear you too. Yeah, I can hear. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah. Did you want to hear about panther energy? Tell you about panther energy. Yeah, tell me about yeah. panther energy. I I was gonna do like an Austin Powers like. Cat. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. Well, the, I was gonna do like the. Row. <laughs> like no don't do it and then i just did it but that wasn't like with all my heart so well let's count. hear it now now you have to do it come on I do it. you you're do great, it and then i'll try you're great at voices you do voices no no, all no. it's that. not the voice of austin powers it's like the like the if you're doing the cat voice like wow there you go 
That sounds more like a cougar stalking prey in the middle of the night, not panther. What do you think cougars sound like? That doesn't sound like a cougar. I don't know the fuck a cougar. I hope I never know what a cougar sounds like in all my hunting. Oh, me too. And I'm not going to make a joke about you channeling cougar energy. (laughs) Hey, tell me about, Okay, tell us about panther energy. Okay, so panther is my new power animal. It was assigned to me. I didn't choose it but I'm fully embracing it knowing that when I finally embraced the snake energy, it was exactly what I needed. So embracing this Panther energy, I actually asked the Panther to show me what I needed to know. And it was so specific. And then we watched a documentary as per my request. And it was like a tie in of everything that I had already been told, which is really cool. So the energy of the Panther is, very much about watching and waiting for the right time to attack. It's about being in the dark, being very calculated. And dark, I don't mean like not being able to see things. I mean, like choosing the time to hunt, whether it's from night or from the the place of comfort, I'm going to say, because cats see well in the night. And choosing the right moment to attack your prey, choosing the right moment to like, when you know you're going to get it right, when you know you're going to catch the prey exactly as you want, that's when you go, that's when you attack. And I feel like that is speaking to me very well because now that we have three kids, I have to be very, very precise with anything I want to do outside of parenting. And I have to choose the right timing and act fast and be concise and be exact so that I can get done what I need to get done. And there's also a mothering component to it as well, which jaguars are very, jaguars, panthers are very protective of their young. And they spend a lot of time teaching them what they need to know so that they can trust themselves and then go forth. And I feel like that's my, my parenting energy right now too. So I have this sexy, sleek, attacking type conscious deliberate energy and then i have this protective parenting energy and i'm embracing it yeah sometimes that i (laughs) when you uh you have that deliberate attacking energy so that we can have some uh some nice time together and then (laughs) fall asleep (laughs) well it can help exhaustion (laughs) (laughs) i'm only bugging you i get it I'm not sure that was an endorsement for parenting. <laughs> it's so hard having three kids that you have to be incredibly precise about anything you want to do outside of those three kids. Oh, I think it's realistic. <laughs> but it's realistic for now. <laughs> for now. For now. It's just a season. We were, we were joking that we we're like really only parenting one kid. The other two are taking care of themselves now. <laughs> so Jovi's an only child. <laughs> Did you say that? After seven years, they're an only child. I'll have to... Uh, I'll have to revisit my eagle energy. Yeah, you still should even even an eagle. Well, you, well, I don't even know if you tapped into what it could mean for you. Maybe you should ask ask an eagle. Watch it do something. Watch it hunt like, or watch, like, watch or it kill one of our chickens. Like it has. <laughs> Maybe that's why they've been coming around. They were golden eagles. Huh? Hmm. Huh? Are you blaming me? I feel like no. you're blaming me. <laughs> no, I just meant like it was coming to try and teach you something. And you were all, you can't see my fist. I'm shaking my fist. 
Yeah. I'm not sure I'm getting it. I think we're losing the, I think we're losing the thread. Here. Are we getting too tired? Getting I mean, tired. there's something for you to learn from the ego by watching it. That's what I yeah. mean. Well, that yeah. comes back to the book I'm reading called Rewilding, which is about conscious rewilding yoga meditation in and using nature. And it talks a lot about watching nature and allowing nature to bring you back into the present moment allowing nature to heal you, allowing nature to teach you. Like if you, that's animism. Yeah. That's animism. Yeah. yeah. I don't, they haven't talked about journey yet, but they might. Anyway, I guess that's, that's uh, another sign you're doing the animism thing. I'm reading this book. <sighs> We're going to go live in the woods. <laughs> Halfway. <laughs> no, we like our, we like nice things too much. Can't go all the way into the woods. We're going, if we're going into the woods, it's like, Yes, but can we bring a nice bottle of Bordeaux? And uh, <laughs> is there a place for some champagne and whatever else? Like we're not we're not hoity fucking toity, but bed. right? Can we bring can we bring the nice mattress that we have? And then yes, we'll sleep in the woods <laughs> with a heated blanket. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're babe. done. Yeah, we're done. We're done. <laughs> but <laughs> I tried to make my wine last, so I didn't have to get up. To pour another one. Uh, there was nothing left in the bottle. I was mm. drinking rum. There you have it, folks. The incredible wisdom of my incredible wife. And I don't know about you, but I think she passed the audition to be. <gasps> I'm in. Oh. So we'll make this like one out of four will be you and I jamming okay. out on here. I thought you were going to say stars, one out of four stars. I'm like, no, how is no, that no, no, no. One out of four guests. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you don't agree, leave it in the comments. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. I won't be offended and I'll probably it <laughs> you anyway. won't give a fuck. <laughs> Trust me, I'll care. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'll nurse our, the wounds. <laughs> our guard dog is uh, passed out, so it is the time. It is. Thank night. you very much for listening to us truly ramble on me specifically <laughs> until next time stay classy san diego doodles as always thanks so much for listening to the ramble you no know, there is a lot of podcasts out there so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one you know we want to be part of the the solution the the good questions the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others you know all that great stuff so if the spirit does move you subscribe share post anything we'd be forever grateful and if you have any comments or feedback good bad ugly it doesn't matter we're here to listen guests you think we should have on of course send them along thank you and until next time peace